0: It's time for Governance by Grace. Welcome to Grace Gracearchy with Jim Babka. Jim, today we're going to the roots, man. We're going to get to the foundation of
1: grace, right? Yes, yes. Uh, you know, being uh, done, as in done with church, which is one of maybe our target audiences here, for me, has had a lot to do with the fact that I think the church, the way most people are practicing it, has had a bad anthropology and bad theology. Yeah, They've yeah. gotten the question of Christ uh, largely wrong, and it's caused a lot of pain and misery, and there's a lot of critics from the outside with some very well-founded uh, disputes uh, that they would like to raise. Uh, on the anthropology front, as you know, I, I kind of look a lot at uh, Rene Girard, Sure. Although today's right. guests will have some things to say about that. But on the theology front, I've been really inspired uh, uh, by one individual in particular in, in the ministry that he's done.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. You know, we've had that list of guests, the, our wish list of guests, since we started Grace Archie. Yes. And today's guest is like right at the top. And Who it, was, it yep. is just.
1: Well, I can't I, remember whether the list had 6 or 9 or sort of 10 names on it anymore, but he was he was right he was at the top. I mean, it was like we've got to get uh get him on. I've been watching him uh his videos for a decade. I've been listening to podcasts and I read sure. uh, I've been to two of his courses, read uh, three of his books, and I got to meet him earlier this summer uh at a public lecture. You know, I I read one of the books too because
0: my dad was a big fan of the Shack. In fact, my dad introduced me to the Shack. Mm-hmm. And so when I read The Shack Revisited, you know, it's just everything sort of syncs up together. Let's do a proper introduction and then we'll bring him on. We're really blessed today to talk with C. Baxter Kruger, who lectures throughout the world about grace and the Trinity with his ministry, ministry Perichoresis. You can follow his work and subscribe to Baxter's newsletter at perichoresis.org. Tune in to the Astonished Hearts channel on YouTube or catch his live show across all worlds on Patreon. Don't worry about spelling. We'll put all the links in the show notes so you can find him easily later. In addition to a master's of divinity from Reformed Theological Seminary and a PhD from King's College, University of Aberdeen, he also creates and sells fishing lures and enjoys golf and cooking crawfish. Baxter and his wife, Beth, reside in Mississippi. They're parents of four and love spending
1: time with their four grandchildren. I think that number's grown even bigger, has it it's not? grown Bigger, hasn't it? It's, I think so. Doctor, welcome to Grace Archie.
2: Jim is uh, great meeting you uh, up in Toronto. Uh, those lectures that I gave there on the mediation of Jesus Christ were filmed properly, and they're going to be a new class, um, something new online class. It'd be fantastic. We'll have a we'll have a blast with that one.
1: That's cool. That's cool. Uh, it was awesome to meet you as well. And uh, th- the topic I chose for us to discuss today uh, is, a, is a document you wrote called the Trinitarian Vision, which I understand
2: came with some labor pains. <laughs> yeah, I, I was determined to get it into one page, which I did, but it, it's in the shack revisited and it, it bleeds over into two pages because it's a smaller format. But I got it in one page on a regular, um, you know, eight and a half by 11, but. Uh, to take on something like that uh, requires a good forty years of work <laughs> and thinking and reflection. So um, I'm very, very proud of it. I mean, uh, there's some things that I would, you know, nuance uh, if I had more space. But I, I just was determined to do it um, so that people would have in front of them one picture because we're in a, uh, we're we're in a place in history now, in Western history where we are realizing that there's some fundamental things that are off. One of which is that we really haven't taken the, the Trinity very seriously. It changes everything. Uh, so in the beginning, you know, John's gospel, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. That, that's the word with there is pros. And in that context, in context of the Hebrew mind, uh, it means a whole lot more than to be with. It means to be turned toward face to face. So John begins his gospel with this face-to-face relationship of the Father, Son, and he brings the Spirit into that before the chapter's over, uh, and so he is he has written a document, and and we could go through Paul's writings too, um, where they saw that Jesus was there in the beginning, face to face with the Father, and out of that relationship. Or in that relationship, we were created. So it's to that relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we return to understand the why. Why did God create us? And so, if you study the early church and then other writers through mainstream, through the mainstream and are uh, not mainstream, but we're kicking against the go like in Scotland and England in the 1870s, eighteen hundreds, and nineteen hundreds, you will see that the purpose of God in creation is to create. Beings that do not exist did not exist to bring them into being and to bring them to the place where they share in the life of God itself, Trinitarian life, which is a circle, not a hierarchy, a circle of equality. Uh, it's good. The Athanasius said, The God of all, this is a, a stunning statement. He wrote this when he was a young man in his 20s The God of all is good and supremely noble by nature that's who he is mm-hmm. therefore therefore he is the lover of the human race that's athanasius writing in the 300s uh, they saw that that's why the nicene creed is there they're they're putting forward a, a, a vision of the trinity and we go back there so when you read john's gospel he never leaves the father son spirit relationship it's running all the way through um In fact, he defines eternal life as not going to heaven when we die, but as knowing the Father. And then at the end of his prayer in 1726, he has the most amazing statement I have ever read anywhere. The very last verse, Father, I have made you known to them, and I will make you known in order that the love with which you love me before the foundation of the world the love with which you love me may be in them and i in them as the anointed son that's the whole purpose of creation and incarnation right there yeah and resurrection ascension so uh with your permission
1: i'd like to be able to reprint the trinitarian vision in the show notes so people could follow along with this the the thing that uh, There's there's tremendous beauty in this picture that's being painted. And the picture hasn't always been about beauty. There is a myth of separation at work. Um, But the plan from the very beginning, and you start off, you say, from all eternity, and you begin to describe the relationship that existed between God, no darkness or emptiness, no depression or fear or insecurity, a great dance of unchained communion and intimacy with other-centered love. Talk about where the the, the original plan and the shape of that plan and what was going on inside God.
2: Well, God is Father, Son, and Spirit, always has been, always will be. This is the revelation that Jesus brought to us in our darkness, in our confusion. We are wrong about God. Um, The human race is blind to the truth about God. And God is Father, Son, and Spirit, a relational being from all eternity. And that relationship forms the womb of the creation. So then in, in the old days, or not in the old days, the old days was the early church, but in the, in this modern period, um, really going back to the medieval times, but we have talked about the attributes of God and not the names of God. And we've talked about the attributes of God as if they're two lists. One is holy, righteous, just, um, full of wrath, the other is grace, love, uh, blessedness, joy, uh, and justice is on the other side. And somehow it's like they're two different beings. So what the early church was doing was saying, no, the, the, the very deepest core, if you want to talk about this, the very deepest part of God's very being is the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So it brings love right to the center and togetherness and openness and not closeness. So then you take the attributes, if you want to, and you... You look at them. Like, what is holiness? Classically, holiness is is uh, in a class by itself. There's nothing like it in the universe. Um, but it's not just holiness in the sense of unapproachability. It's holiness like Isaiah saw: "Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." Who will go? Who can? Who will go for us? It's talking about the the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit for one another. Is there's nothing like that anywhere? It's in class- it, it,
1: it, you go on to say it gives rise to such togetherness and fellowship and oneness. It is the
2: womb of the universe and of humanity within it. That's correct. They, that's the only, the only place that we can go to understand who we are and why we're here. Uh, okay, now, unpack that a little bit, please. Well, I grew I grew up in Calvinism. Uh, really tough Calvinism and we were taught that God before the creation of the world predestined some he called the elect to to everlasting glory in heaven and he uh, either passed by or deliberately rejected that's a huge question um, the other nine tenths of the human race to, to the flames for the glorification of divine justice is what I was taught and I knew from very early on that there was something profoundly wrong with this picture of God. And once I read Athanasius uh, when I was in college and I read the statement that I quoted earlier, I thought, oh, way, 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 way. So the doctrine of God in the Western tradition has really flirted with the Trinity. It hadn't been fully converted to Trinitarian faith. And so well, we have you- you make, a, you make an extraordinary comment about that,
1: that I don't remember who it was that said this. You'll know right off the top of your head that if you subtracted the Trinity out of virtually every theological uh, tome ever written, it wouldn't change
2: the outcome one bit. Yeah, that was Carl Rahner. Um, and um, he said that we have to be willing to admit that should the doctrine of the Trinity have to be dropped as false the major part of re- religious religious lit- literature would remain unchanged uh i read that i found that quote when i was working on my doctoral dissertation i just sat there and just thought what in the world now here for example let me let me just found this this is what i was taught this is westminster larger catechism question number 7 uh what is god now listen this is in 1640s, and this is considered by Charles Hodge in the 1800s in, in uh, Princeton as the finest statement about God ever penned mm-hmm. by man. It's exhaustive, he said. It's, here it is. God is a spirit. In and of himself, infinite in being, glory, blessedness, and perfection, all sufficient, eternal, unchangeable, incomprehensible, everywhere present, almighty, knowing all things, most wise, most holy, most just, most merciful and gracious, long suffering, and abundant in goodness and truth. Now, I, obviously, those things are true of God, but it's just utterly appalling that there's no mention of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and there's no mention of love. I mean, that's one of the things that we're told that God is. God is love. He doesn't love on Monday, Tuesday, then go back to being what he really is on mm-hmm. Wednesday, the rest of the week. He doesn't evaluate you on the basis of love and me on the basis of something else. So, so, I, just,
0: I, so I'm tracking here, but help me out, because I think what I heard was that this idea of the Trinity is relatively new to us, but it's always been implied
2: in Christianity. Uh, it's it's a um, uh, bill. It, it's way worse than that. Um, the, the, the vision of the Trinity. I mean, let me, let me just put it this way. The Nicene Creed opens. We believe in one God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth, and all things visible and invisible. And then it goes down down. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ. They're taking the Shema hero, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. And they're putting Jesus and the Holy Spirit into it. This is what Paul did in 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Um, So, but notice, it doesn't say we believe in God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, because that would be putting creation in the context of the almightiness of God. It's very, very deliberate. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, through whom all things came into being so they're placing deliberately i mean very specifically placing the whole creation of the universe in the context of the father son spirit relationship and they're giving us um they're starting the ball rolling this is written in 325 and finished in 381 at council constantinople they're starting the ball rolling down that track stay here john says go here to the father son spirit relationship do not leave this there is no God behind this. There is no attribute of God that's deeper than the relationship of the Father, Son, and Spirit. But that's what happened in our Western tradition is that we allowed things to slip in, so to speak. It's like, oh, yes, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that's good. but But God is behind that relationship is the holiness of God or the sovereignty of God. And so now what we've done, we open a door where we're going to define holiness, not relationally. But as uh, uh, unapproachable, distant up there, and that's just Greek philosophy. That's not Bible. Bible I is see. about God coming down. So we we got our compass reading off very early in the West, and there has been protest all along the way. Not least Lutheran Calvin, but there were others before that. And then there've been protests within the protest that we didn't go far enough. We didn't recover it. For example, in eighteen ninety nine. Well, we back up. 1799, Frederick Schleiermacher uh, wrote a book called Speeches on Religion to Its Cultured Despisers. Now, that marks the beginning of what's known as modern theology. Um, and we, we could go in all that, how that got, what, what was going on at the time. But to, just listen to the title. Speeches on Religion. Let's say Speeches on the Gospel of Jesus Christ to Its Cultured Despisers. And he's recognizing now that the West has moved on and because of science and philosophy and because of other things is is sneering the church is anachronistic and irrelevant et cetera well that that was seventeen ninety nine that mm. that gave rise to what we call uh modern liberalism or liberalism, which is Oh my gosh! What are we gonna do? Nobody's coming to church. They they think we're we're not scientifically up to date. We're we're anachronistic. We all know because of Newton's closed system that God doesn't get involved. So miracles are out. Mm-hmm. The incarnation is out. And if the incarnation is out as a as God, because the Son of God becoming human, then we have no no way to go to the Trinity. So we just we're just back to deism. God's up there watching us, and somehow uh, he's given us a book, and, and Jesus is taking care of sins if we believe properly. Uh, and repent of our sins properly. Um, so in 100 years, 1899, in Niagara Falls, they had a um, a fundamentalist, the first fundamentalist conference. Mm-hmm. And they got together to defend the faith, once delivered yes. to the saints. You know, I get this is the world I grew up in. I mean, I get this. Well, We're not going to rip the testament out. We're not going to throw away miracles. We're not going to, no so here are the five fundamentals the inspiration and inerrancy of scripture the virgin birth and the deity of Christ substitutionary penal atonement <laughs> physical bodily resurrection of Christ and the second coming of Christ just like in the definition that of the Westminster standards there is no trinity here. They're not even defending the trinity because it had been lost to significance to the point where when we all got together to state what we're going to defend, we didn't even think about it.
1: You know, it. it you look at uh, the way Christianity has been sold, particularly on the fundamentalist and I came from that universe too in my youth uh, as well. They developed something called apologetics, where they tried to, to make or force various parts of the Bible to fit something, right? They tried to come up with a counter explanation and you had to adhere to that. And if you didn't adhere, it wasn't to Christ, but it was to the way that they had interpreted the Bible, then you were putting the whole thing, every bit of it was in peril. Like if one part of that is isn't exactly the way we've interpreted it, then it doesn't doesn't exist. And a lot of people have started to poke and look around and said, well, wait a minute, that story doesn't work or that one doesn't work. And one story is enough, they can walk right out the door what's lost in the midst of all of this is relationship. You've got this this relationship that's at the core of the existence of God. And instead of us talking about that, we're talking about whether or not you agree with my hermeneutic on the book.
2: Mm -hmm. That's it. I mean, you've got, uh, I remember in Scotland talking to one of my friends there, another American student that was studying and he was schooled in in, uh, apologetics kind of the R.C. Sproul, you know, mm-hmm. a dazzling logician. Um, and he told me, he said, if the Bible was proved to be errant, I would lose my faith. And I said, I'm calling scuba on that. He said, what do you mean? I said, you don't believe in Jesus Christ because the Bible says so. And it's perfect. You believe in Jesus Christ because you've met him and he's convinced you. That's why you read the book, because he met those men and women, and 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 they were talking about something that was too beautiful for words, as Hillary said. So we, we've we lost the appeal is to the head. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Descartes, I think, therefore I am. And he's going to reason from something that he could not doubt, which I'm thinking, and I'm doubting, and he's going he's to reason from there to prove right. the existence of God. And the so God Th- Th- is, Th- is not the Father, Son, and Spirit.
1: Faith ends up becoming an intellectual ascent. And you got to yeah. hold on to that. And so people go through these crises of doubt because it's not relationship. And I've been That's at to try to, to, to describe to people that faith is a relational term. It's not a knowledge term, it's a relational term. It's it's I don't know that my wife doesn't cheat on me because I have all the data. I've followed her around all day, of monitoring her cell phone. I know it because of the relationship that I have with her. I know I can
2: count on that relationship. That's correct. I have, um, I think I took it home last night. I was reading George McDonald's letters and he wrote one to his dad. And he says that, um, he says the fundamental weakness in Scotland and in England in the, the attempt to renew, this is 1800s, attempt to renew things is, is an over emphasis on faith. Everybody's talking about faith and finding faith and doing all this kind of stuff. And McDonald says, I don't ever talk about faith. I talk about Jesus. Because when you meet him, it creates faith. Well, you can't meet Jesus inside your soul if you don't know that he's there. And you can't know that he's there if somebody's not telling you to ask him. But we haven't told people to ask Jesus because we, they're separated. God's up there. Now Jesus is up there, and we've got the book, and we got to figure out how to win the argument. And this is why, uh, to me, historically speaking, the shack has done what so, is so beautiful, what it has done and is doing. Because us in the Christian West, we thought that it was about who can produce the best theological statement with the most Bible verses and win the argument. Yes. And so all of a sudden, Paul Young writes a book that doesn't argue. No. He presents the Father, Son, and Spirit inside of Mackenzie's broken soul while he is still angry with God and curses him. Or doesn't curse me, just... Say that last part again. Yeah, focus on that
1: last part. So this is the thing that is the most stunning to me, having met you and heard you talk. If I were to pick one thing, this is the most stunning thing. Where does God
2: meet us? inside of our sin and brokenness. This is the whole point of John's gospel, whole point of his understanding of what Jesus was doing on the cross. The problem is not that God is angry with us, furious, disgusted, and someone has to pay to, to calm him down. The problem is the Father, Son, and Spirit are good and supremely noble by nature, and they created us to share in their life, and they don't do abandonment. But Adam and Eve, and now the human race has lost its mind. Um, I here uh, illustration. Um, I got a call one day from the psych unit here in, in, in Jackson. Uh, and a person that I know was there. I didn't even know they were there. And they were requesting my presence. So I got in the car and drove down there. And I, well, I've never been to a psych, you know, I didn't know what to expect. And I walked in and I'm looking around the room. The doctor comes to me and says, you know, tells me a little bit about background or whatever. And this person has gotten really angry. It's throwing all the nurses out. And, and so I'm like, well, and all, all they said was she requests you. So I walk in, she recognized me, and that was it. That's the only thing she, that's the only attachment that she had to reality at all. It was it was amazing. I could not figure out a way to communicate with her. And I realized quickly that if I disagree with her narrative and her perception, her interpretation, then I would be thrown out, which is what happened. And I I was driving home and I said I I was in the parking lot at the hospital and I just thought that's the fall. The human race is in a sight unit. It's delusional about God. And everything he, every time he approaches them, they're interpreting through their grid and they disagree. So how do you deal with that? That's the incarnation. But, the but word it's, no accident.
1: it's no accident that they're confused. I mean, the church has helped you know, people. good, well-intended people have misled them with this idea that God is angry and judgmental, and he needs
2: to murder his son in order to... That's correct. The day's coming. The day will come. When when we hear this these songs, you know, he turned his back on his son. We will literally puke. To think that our father, Jesus, father, has anything in him to do with abandonment. He and, and this is Thomas Erskine, and I'll come back to to Union because that's the that's the key part. Thomas Erskine, eighteen hundreds, wrote a book called uh, The Spiritual Order, and we're we're redoing that book right now. Uh, me. Uh, Richard Limbach uh, has already translated and published one of Erskine's other books called the um, "The Unconditional Freeness of the Gospel." It's the greatest title ever, and Richard's done a great job. It's available on Amazon, but it's the Limebach edition. Anyway, spiritual order. Erskine sitting there in Scotland and says, "We've got this backwards," and so he 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 says, "Look, either we think that God created us." and gifted us, and got us going, and put us on probation, and he's gonna see how we do at the end, and there's gonna be the judgment. Or, the Father, Son, and Spirit created us in Jesus Christ, as children, to be trained, to be educated to learn that what we want is to share in the life and blessedness and righteousness and goodness and holiness of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And that's, that's, he just put his finger on the whole issue right there. But there are more issues in that. And that is the creation in Christ. And we've lost that. And you saw me in Toronto. I had that big soap bubble thing, and I was waving around the room, and everybody's laughing. I said, but this is the problem. We think Jesus created us, and we're soap bubbles, and now we're separated from him. Mm -hmm. And we got to get back. And we got an angry God to motivate us. And so that's just insanity. Uh, If you are separated from Jesus Christ, you disappear. I can show you quotes from Calvin himself uh, in his commentary on John 1, 4. And his commentary on Acts, where he's talking about how God is in everyone, not just in the sense of good thoughts, but in the very being. So if he removes himself from us and we're not in union with him, then we disappear. The incarnation is not Jesus is coming to establish a relationship with the human race that he does not have. Incarnation, the word became flesh. He's going inside the psych unit. And not only going inside the psyche, he's going to figure out a way to get on the inside of my friend, behind the filters, behind the misperception, and create a crisis, judgment, um, crisis.
1: Is this is this liberating uh, to believers? And, and here's how I mean this: I really want to, uh, to to get your take on this. If the if everyone's going to hell. And I got, I'm in a race against time to get them to believe the right thing. What tactics, you know, suddenly start to become legitimate to, to, to get that job done? Or is it the case on the other hand? We don't have to use coercion and force to get stuff done. We don't have to trick people or defraud them in any way. We don't have to push them in any direction. We can just simply love them and that God's at work and every one of them is on a path where he's meeting them right now. It might be hard for us to see on the outside, but it's happening.
2: He made his way. This is John's gospel. I think this is Paul. He knows that if I don't get on the inside of their thinking, if I don't get it not only in the psych unit, that's becoming human, but he didn't become just human. John is explicit. So is Paul. Uh, The word became flesh. That's humanity in the psych unit. He's entered into our darkness uh, as the one who knows the father and he brought his Father and the Holy Spirit with him. So that, that instead of a, a divide, and now Jesus has crossed the divide, and we by faith and by repentance and by obedience can walk across the divide and get to God, and then God goes cha-ching, now, now you're justified, now you're reconciled, now you're uh, included, now you're loved. That's the framework that we inherited, but it's it's a wrong framework because there's no walking across what happened in Jesus He's the one who's face-to-face with the Father from all eternity. He doesn't come become human saying, thanks, Dad, for all the years, but I'm going to do this on my own. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the power trip, but I'm going to do this in my own strength. This, this is the descent of the Father, Son, and the Anointed One, not only into our humanity, but into our broken, uh, twisted flesh. And he brings his father and the Holy Spirit with him. There is no forsaking here. Jesus is. He says this again and again and again. Um, he he speaks about it in John sixteen, where he says, he says, the hour has come, and now is when you will leave me alone. Each one of you will go to your own home. But I am not alone. The Father is with me. And in the same way, in chapter eight, he says when you lift up you. Uh, chapter eight. I'll read it. Um, when you lift up the Son of Man, we're talking about the cross. Jesus says, when you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. Ego I mean, uh, that's the name of God in, in the Septuagint very often in Isaiah. Ani who in Hebrew. And I do nothing of my own initiative, but speak the things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. I wanna
1: I want to focus in on this flesh part. Um, the word, I believe, as I've learned from you, is in, in the Greek, is sarx. and and this is really really important because it's another way in which kind of the Greek influence is not as replaced the more Hebrew uh, influence where you know where where our bodies actually matter, where being physical or living in life uh, is actually important. God has come and redeemed that as well. And it's part of His design. So speak to that part. You said He came in flesh. He came to our flesh comes to the deepest, darkest part of our flesh. It's not some separate, like, like platonic type of
2: ideal. No, he his he's coming for his bride. And his bride has lost her mind. And his bride is unwilling to come to him. In John 5, this is what flesh means. John 5, Jesus says, you to the Pharisees. And this is astounding. I mean he's just standing there looking at him. Probably, I think maybe even Saul Tarsus was there. He certainly would have heard about it. He says, you have never heard the voice of God or seen his form. You do not have the word of God abiding, dwelling in you. You do not have the love of God in you. You are unwilling to come to me. That's the fall. That's what it means to flesh. Flesh is our physical body sometimes when it speaks in the the New Testament. But it's also our humanity as it has been twisted by evil. Okay, And by our collusion. So Jesus is going to go and, and become flesh. He who knew no sin became sin. And that really runs havoc on, well, the father can't look at it, but the son can become it. I'm like, yes. wait, wait, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing. Um, So he's going to become human, anthropos. He's going to enter flesh, our brokenness, get down to the very bottom. That's the cross. And he's untwisting it. So what you see in the resurrected Jesus is what we are becoming. We are becoming. That's what it means to be full of of the Trinitarian life of God is Jesus uh, in his life and in his resurrection. And he's in us. So he's made his way. He already had a relationship with every single thing in the universe. Not one thing, John says, verse three of chapter one. All things were created in Him, and apart from Him, or without Him, or outside of Him, not one thing was created. So He's got His relationship. Now He's bringing His relationship with us inside our darkness, inside our our twisted, uh, fallen uh, minds and hearts. And He's going to He brings the Father and the Holy Spirit with Him. So here's what here's what I think we ought to do. We ought to have billboards all over the world. People driving in New York City or LA or wherever in the United States. And there's a big old sign, it's black, and all there's there's this phrase on it. Jesus Christ is in you. Ask him. And you drive on down the road and says, and he brought his father with him. Ask him. And a little bit further, and he brought the Holy Spirit. Ask him. This is the way forward. People start asking the eternal word of God who never stops speaking. Are you in me? And they're going to hear him say, I am. Did you bring your father with you? I don't ever do anything without my father. Did you bring the Holy Spirit? I am the one anointed in the Holy Spirit without measure. I am in you. That's the bottom line. That's the gospel. Now we've got Father, Son, and Spirit not up there watching and evaluating us. We don't have a God that's watching every single move that we make from the infinite distance of a disgusted heart. We have a Father, Son, and Spirit whose children, whose creation, whose bride has lost her mind, and they're coming in, not on my watch. That's the heart, not on our watch. We're gonna we're gonna find our way inside this. I'm gonna put my spirit in you, in the darkness, uh, Paul Young captures that, but that was uh, in in the shack because the Father, Son, and Spirit are inside the shack while Mackenzie is is rejecting G-O-D. And so when he walks up there and Papa comes out, the shack is, is, is a metaphor for the human soul. They're already there. That's the first question I asked him when we talked. I said, please tell me you did that on purpose because that's a huge theological revolution. And he said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And I said, well, how did you get there? Because I know I got there by studying the early church and then the Torrance Brothers and Bart and MacDonald and Thomas Erskine and all that. He didn't get there that way. And then later on in the story of the shack, the Holy Spirit, Sada you, comes and says, McKenzie, we have some work to do. So they start digging around in the garden. And McKenzie says, you know, this is a mess. Yeah. But it's, it seems very familiar. And she says, this mess is your soul. And the Holy Spirit is in his soul, in his brokenness, in his sin, whatever you want to call it. And here comes Papa walking down with a sack lunch. That's the gospel. This is external stuff about, you know, reducing Jesus Christ to no more than a prophet. When he's outlined in, in, in John 5, you hadn't heard, you've never seen my father, you hadn't heard his word. You don't have the word of God abiding in you. I think he leaned forward and winked at him because you give me three days, boys, and we're going to have a new new discussion. This is not going to be theology. This is not going to be Bible. I'm going to go inside your darkness, Saul of Tarsus, and you're going to be on the Damascus Road, and the Holy Spirit's going to turn the lights on, and you're not going to argue.